Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire and welcome to Master Leadership. Great leaders ask great questions and this podcast takes you on a journey to master leadership with questions that matter to leaders who matter with your host, Lily Sinabria. Hi, this is Lily, and welcome to Master Leadership Through Crisis series, where we will connect with leaders worldwide to gain insights on important questions to help us navigate through rough waters. If you would like to participate as a guest, or if you have a question that you would like to ask a guest, go to masterleadership.org for more information. From marching 76 straight miles to hunger striking for 16 to 26 days, Dr. Cesar Cruz has dedicated his life to fighting injustice. His relentless drive and passion have touched the lives of many, and his writings have received praise from activists and scholars throughout the world. Author Adolfo Acuña sees César as one of the new martyrs of our people. Acclaimed author and activist Luis Rodríguez depicts César's writings as filled with fierce insight and righteous rage. But César shrugs off the accolades with a humble smile and a thought. I'm not important. We're but seeds of social change. Our role is a simple one, to comfort the disturbed and to disturb the comfortable. MLK. Cesar received his education in a rancho in Huchiclan on the streets of Compton, East Los Angeles. As an undergrad at UC Berkeley, majoring in history and in the Bay Area, where he has spent a huge part of his life. He has been an educator for 19 years and co-founded an independent school in Richmond, California called Making Changes Freedom School. Over the last four years, he has overseen an independent non-governmental organization, Homies Empowerment, which works with gang-impacted involved youth. In 2004, he received the Peacemaker of the Year Award from the California Assembly, but declined it because he feels that it is hypocritical to claim to have peace without justice. Cesar also received the Outstanding Commitment to Justice Award from Pacifica Radio, Local Hero Award from Comcast, and many other accolades, including the Jefferson Award from CBS News. Having received his doctorate in educational leadership at Harvard University, Dr. Cruz travels throughout the year lecturing at various schools, universities, community centers, and rallies while avoiding the policia and la migra. Ike. Our interview will continue after messages from our sponsors. Substance misuse is up 13% since COVID-19. Amy Guerrero, recovery coach, conscious sober human, and founder of Thrive in Recovery, supports people in recovery to discover the root cause of what keeps them stuck in coping mechanisms that are no longer working. Amy's trauma-trained approaches help recovering people find success and create healthy relationships. If you or your family are struggling with emotional trauma and forgiveness, Amy and Thrive in Recovery have proven methods to support you. 
Go to thriveinrecoverywithamy.com and get started on this important journey. Most of us sit, and we sit a lot, 8 to 10 hours each day. Unfortunately, we're not designed to sit. The result of this mismatch between our hunter-gatherer bodies and our sedentary, chair-centric society is an epidemic of poor posture, weakened core muscles, and back pain. Worse, sitting passively slumped all day leads to increased rates of diabetes, heart disease, even cancer. Sitting eight hours per day robs the average person of two years of life. Luckily, it turned out that sitting isn't the real problem. The real culprit is sitting still. And while we can't get away from sitting, we can get away from sitting still. Dr. Turner Osler created a new type of chair that revolutionizes sitting by promoting movement while sitting. Purchase this chair at QOR360.com and begin your journey of active sitting. Welcome, Dr. Cesar Cruz. How are you? Oh, it's an honor to be here with you, Lily. Thank you for what you do. And just, I'm happy to have this conversation with you. So are you ready to point to our listeners? Well, I'll do my best. I'm excited to have the conversation. <laughs> Great. Now, um, Cesar, tell us a bit about your path to leadership and what you're doing now. Ooh, that's a difficult question. And I say that because I'm a student of understanding the mind and understanding ego. And as I'm a student of the mind and understanding ego, I'm having a hard time using labels like a leader. We live in a culture that is a hero culture, that is a single leader culture, that is an individualistic culture. And I'm really getting to the point in my life that um, I want to be the antithesis of all of that. I could care less for it all. Mm. And so maybe that's part of the journey. And so where I am in the journey is understanding that I'm interconnected. I'm not at all caring for my leadership as an individual. I could care less for that. I am very excited about working in collaboration and working with entire communities. We say it takes a barrio. It takes an entire community. What does that mean? How do you develop trust with people that you may not have known? How do you develop solidarity? And how do you do it in these times? We are operating a freedom store where over 1,600 community members are coming to shop for free with us during COVID-19. And it takes about 30 of us to run it. So what does it mean for 30 people to work together? So the concepts of leadership that I'm thinking about is teaming, familia, trust, relationships, stepping back a lot, getting out of our mental thought processes, and really building solidarity. So I know that was a mouthful, but you said we were going to get into it. That's so right. I thought, let's, let's start with a mouthful and then we'll see where it takes us. That's right. That path to leadership. Interesting because it all depends on how we define leadership, right? Yeah. When I look at leadership, I see servant. Mm. Like a true leadership is a servant. Mm. And you said really wonderful words, connecting, trusting, and solidarity, which are pillars really. And trust to me is the foundation of leadership. And so thank you for your work. Tell us about your work and how we can connect with you. Okay, so just a, a little bit of the backstory because we're just meeting, right? And mm -hmm. so I started as an educator in 1994. And so when we add the years, it's been a couple of decades, right? 
and primarily in high school settings, primarily in Oakland, California, in the Bay Area. And education is my passion. 11 years ago, we started an organization called Homies Empowerment. The idea of a homie is street slang for like a really good friend that has your back out on the streets. And what we began to find in Oakland, California, is that a lot of young people were attracted to gangs. Now, I'm going to describe to you an organization, and then you tell me what I'm talking about. Here's an organization where you have to put in work, where you have to be loyal, where we're going to have your back, but we want you to have ours, where unfortunately, maybe you might need to sell some product out on the streets, and you're definitely going to wear certain colors. Lily, what am I describing? New York City Police Department. (laughs) Yes, and... Specifically, I'm describing the Girl Scouts. Um, You have to wear certain colors. You have to be loyal. You have to put in work. You have to push product. Like you have to push those cookies hard. And Girl Scouts get to thrive in America. But if I were actually describing a gang, Mm -hmm. then I would be describing what the society labels as urban terrorist. We want to grab every gang member and throw them into our worst jail ever. And we think that that will eliminate our problems in society. Well, my experience as an educator has been completely the opposite. I've seen young people find refuge and brotherhood and sisterhood and a sense of belonging and a coming of age and ceremony all in gangs. So I have a doctorate from Harvard, but the most amount of education I have received has been from gangs and gangsters in backyards. And what I have learned from them is about loyalty and camaraderie and love and protection. And gangs do an amazing job of providing the needs that society will not provide with a certain segment of our population and of young people. Make a long story short, we started an organization called Homies Empowerment modeled after the best of gangs. And now we're building a full-fledged public high school modeled after gangs. And I could give you specifics if you're like, what do you mean you're going to build a high school modeled after gangs? Yeah, I'd be please. Happy to tell you if that's useful. We are a full-fledged community-based organization where we're owning land, we're looking at healthcare, we're looking at food justice, we're looking at educational justice, and right now we operate a community center where we run a freedom store. And why do we call it a store? Is because people like to have the ability to shop, but we have a lot of neighbors that live on top of cardboard, that live in cars, that live in tents, or that were recently laid off because of COVID-19. And so now we see over 1,500 community members that come every week to our store and they shop for free. We call it Shop for Freedom. Mm-hmm. They shop for their own toiletries, their own food, their own produce, and it's phenomenal. We call it the radical redistribution of resources. And so it's what we do. It's how we do things. And now we're doing the same with the high school. So I, again, I've said a mouthful, but Homies Empowerment as an organization envisions radical redistribution. And that's what we're dreaming to do. I'm working from home. So my dog every so often interrupts me. It adds to the flavor of the conversation. (laughs) So when you talk about modeling it after gangs, what in particular do you mean? Like give me a a vision of that. Yeah, of course. Let's actually center it on a high school. Like let's get that specific. So we're building a high school. When we ask young people in Oakland, California, who do you go to for advice? They would describe a particular person. And I was like, no, how do we get a hold of them? And they're like, well, they're unfortunately locked up. 
and they're locked up in prison and they're doing life. So we have a segment of our population that are lifers in prison who are wisdom keepers, who carry knowledge, who carry advice, but because they're doing life, their physical body will never leave a cage. There are uncles and there are aunties, there are grandmothers and there are grandfathers. So we decided to convince a local prison, San Quentin, to allow the wisdom to come out of the jail cell. So through this medium of Zoom and Skype and everything else, if I am a lifer in prison, I can Zoom in through technology and come to this high school every Monday and every Friday for four years and mentor a cohort of 15 kids. And I could be their advisor. I'm locked up but my wisdom doesn't have to be locked up. And then all of a sudden, if I am from a similar neighborhood of the kids that are coming to this high school, there's a greater chance that they might listen to me. So imagine an advisory system where there's an advisor on the outs that's out in Oakland, California, and there's a co-advisor that is unfortunately locked up in prison for the rest of their life. And together, these two adults co-advise the advisory system for the high school. So that's one example. I'm so impressed by that because that's symbiotic. That means that you're getting wisdom for the high school students, but that also does a lot for the person who's giving advice and who's a lifer. What it's a some... reason to wake up in the morning. Oh like God. even though I'm in a cage, I have a reason to wake up. Listen, I have 15 ninth grade age kids that are waiting for me Monday morning. I cannot commit suicide. I cannot, even though I'm in the worst conditions, I have a reason to live. Mm -hmm. The second one, this might not feel very gangster at first, but I asked youngsters, who are the hardest gangsters in your neighborhood? And over and over again, they said their grandma. And what they meant by their grandma is their grandma's tough and firm and loving and unconditional love. And sometimes she resorts to this weapon called the chancla. You know, and sometimes I know that one well. <laughs> I, me too. Sometimes she resorts to the big hug or the consejo. So we just decided as a city to defund all police officers from Oakland public schools. They're not allowed to return to school. So that's going to help our school design. But what we were thinking is we need a grandmother in every classroom and grandmothers as the caretakers of the school. Because if you show up to this high school, and it's a primarily black and brown high school of African-American and Chicano Latino students who welcomes you is an African-American grandmother and a Latina grandmother. They might tell you to pull your pants up. They might give you a hug. They might give you the chancla. But even if you're high, even if you're struggling, you respect grandmothers differently. So we're doing the intergenerational connections. And when you have a grandmother in the classroom, kids listen differently. The grandma will share what they share in a certain kind of way. So part of our design is wisdom comes from all places and all people. So if we have someone who is the lifer in prison coming in as the advisor, what about the role of our elders and the role of our elders of the school? So that's just two examples, but everything in the design of the school is this way. Wow. It's so powerful. So tell me with the thinking process to pull this together. Did you have a committee? Did it take a while? Was it something you envisioned prior? Tell me what that was like. Sure. The organization Homies Empowerment is 11 years old. And 
for the first six years of its inception, we attended a lot more funerals than we went to graduations, especially of kids under 18. There's two funeral homes that I know very well, and we would sit in the back with mothers grieving in the front. A lot of the teenagers had a t-shirt with the face of their loved one who had been killed, usually ages 13, 14, 15. And everybody was angry and wanted to resort to violence, to retaliate. And I just felt dumbfounded. And some of our other co-founders felt dumbfounded. And they're like, we have to do something different. But we didn't know what it was yet. Mm -hmm. And so many of the young people said, we love your after-school program called Homies Empowerment. We love Rasa Studies. Uh, we did a, a Latino history class, but through film. We love the boys group. We love the girls group. We love all the trips that we do. We love the weekly homies dinners where rival gang members come together every Wednesday. That became so popular that we got visited by a Nobel Peace Prize winner. Ms. Rigoberta Menchu came all the way from Mexico. She was in exile and came to visit us and spend time with us. And we're like, we're on to something. But when you become an after school program, just listen to that name. It's after school. There's a perception that something happens in school called learning. And then when you're done with that, you go to after school and then you do something else. And we thought, what if we turn our backyard after school program into the school? So then we started convening meetings over the last three and a half years with young people and they began to have crazy ideas. And these are the crazy ideas they had. What if we had our own restaurant in the school and all the money goes to our pocket. Okay, why not? Let's do it. What if we had a bakery? What if we had a movie theater? What if we had a recording studio? What if, remember when you took us to that sweat lodge and we had that Native American ceremony and when it was all dark in there and we started to cry and we could all reveal like what we're going through? So let's build a sweat lodge in the high school. So little by little over time, I didn't come up with a single idea, not one. The idea of having lifers as advisors, that's Omar's idea. That's a young man who's a designer who's now a young adult in the program. Ventura, who we met when he was 15, he dreamed about starting a day labor breakfast program because we saw a documentary together called Which Way Home about little kids who are 12 and 13 years old who jump on this train all the way from Central America to try to make it to the U.S. And he was so impacted that he says to the group, hey, do you think that there's like little kids like that here? And I was like, well, who do you think is standing outside of Home Depot and Walgreens right now? Who are these people that are looking for work? What are day laborers? Make a long story short, he started a breakfast program and he fed day laborers for three and a half years. And it wasn't just him. It was a collection of 20 young people. And so out of that came the idea for our community-based restaurant and our bakery and everything else. And so everything has roots. The design of the building, by the way, it's a phoenix. It's this beautiful phoenix. And then we had an architect who did a 2D rendering. Where does the restaurant go? Where is the movie theater? Where is the community library? Where is the recording studio? Where is the group home for kids who run away? Where is the gym? Where is the peacemaking space? Where is the garden where we grow our own food? Where is the sweat lodge? It is all perfectly designed in the Phoenix. And at first, no one was really listening to us. This is cute. But 
unfortunately, it meant me having to go to Harvard and other members of our team having to get their degrees. Dr. Girreas got his degree at UC Berkeley and got his doctorate. Uh, Natalie Carvajal got her master's in nonprofit management at USF. I took off and got my doctorate in education at Harvard. And Dr. Nguyen got his doctorate at SF State and many others. And we came together. And all of a sudden, I guess now that we have master's degrees and doctorates, I guess we know what we're talking about. But none of this was our idea. It was the idea of grandmothers and kids and kids in gangs who know what they need and know where do they get love. This is not rocket science, Lily. It's like, where do you feel loved? Where do you feel protected? How do you learn best, et cetera, et cetera. But it seems like it's rocket science to most schools. Most schools are boring. They're eight hours of sit and get. They're mandatory. They start when uh, it's convenient for the school to start. They never think through the needs of kids and communities. And so we're trying to do everything that schools don't do and to do it well. There's so much here. You're certainly the facilitator of ideas and that's leadership. You know, you, you spoke about not really looking at leadership in the traditional sense. This is what I see leadership to be. And this is what I'm also speaking into because I'm in education and we really need to level up our leadership in the way that you're talking about how you ask the questions, you set the stage and you empower your students to go, <laughs> to thrive. And this is what comes of it. That is so amazing. That is so wonderful. And it really ignites my heart. So thank you so much. Hey, leaders, stay tuned for the rest of the interview following this brief message. Gallup CEO Jim Clifford has pointed out that an increasing number of people in the world are miserable, hopeless, suffering, and becoming dangerously unhappy. Something is profoundly wrong, and it must be addressed. Redefining the Top 1% by Dr. Trevor Blattner is a unique step-by-step -step system for developing authentic leadership by becoming the role model your team deserves. For leaders looking to achieve the top 1% in their influence without sacrificing their character and convictions, redefining the top 1% is the ultimate guide. By providing a powerful set of tools to use immediately, redefining the top 1% focuses on recognizing one's strengths to create a personalized journey towards powerful, real-world leadership. Order now and get your bonuses by visiting drtrevorblattner.com forward slash book. That's D-R-T-R-E-V-O-R-B-L-A-T-T-N-E-R.com forward slash book. So ask yourself, how's my relationship with money? Is it kind and nurturing, free of conflict, or is every day an epic battle? It may be hard to imagine there's a better way to manage your finances. It's actually easier to bury your head in the quicksand and hope it will never go away. It won't. If you're ready for a change, check out this book by Henry Doss, FQ, Financial Intelligence. Now you can buy it on Amazon. Instead, how about a quick money lesson? Get it free at bookbaby.dasknowledge.com. That's bookbaby.daasknowledge.com. If you like what you see, check out his course at dasfq.com where you can learn it all from a master. 
Podcast listeners can sign up for one free month of coaching at podcast.dosknowledge.com. Now, I know that people who are listening to this, because we have gang members on Long Island and we've had a problem, but we haven't had these types of programs. And they're good-hearted people that really want to help. So where can we get a hold of you? Yes, so I would say for the people on Long Island, first of all, revolutionary salute and blessings. None of the solutions that I would offer might be useful and never think about a cookie cutter approach. However, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of genius on Long Island. There's a lot of beautiful people there. And there are places not too far from Long Island, like the Puente Academy for Social Justice, that was born from the Young Lords organization. Here's an organization of Puerto Rican, of Dominican, of African-American folks in the 60s who were demanding the freedom for Puerto Rico and then demanding civil rights for their community that built their own high school. And the Puente Academy is still in existence in New York. So you don't have to go really far. You don't have to travel all the way to Oakland to do this. And what I would say is that take some of the folks in the backyard and in the community center and let's start to dream about, okay, if our people are hungry, how do we meet that need? If they're hungry for knowledge, how do we meet that need? Could we start history classes? Like what if we started watching films together? And I know it's COVID-19, but we could start watching films on Zoom together, films that honor our histories and then have discussions about it. We don't need to wait for colleges or other schools to do it for us. We can do it for ourselves. And a lot of these mediums are free. As long as we have access to a phone and most of us do, we start to put this together. And I would be so happy for any of your listeners to make my information available so that if they're like, I like what I'm hearing, but where do I start? Mm -hmm. Well, we have a million ideas of where to start. But before we give ideas, I'd want to listen deeply to the community of Long Island and be like, what are your pain points? We hear that some immigrants haven't been treated well in the area. How do we support them better? Who are the orgs that are doing that work? How do we come together? Stuff like that. And so I am so excited to think through with good people how we do this. However, we do not need good leaders. We need empowered communities. And so my role, if you called it as a connector, is to help young people empower themselves and for them to find the brilliance inside of themselves, their life's calling. Why were they born? They're not born to have a job or even a career. Like, why are we here on this earth? And once we find our passion, even if I'm in jail and I'm a lifer, I have a reason to wake up. But some people are doing a lifetime in prison and they're on the outs because they don't know who they are. They don't know their life's calling. They don't know why they're here. So everything feels like a storm and they don't have mental wealth. They're just dealing with their mental health. And they haven't been given the tools to be wealthy in their mind to know you're a genius, you're beautiful, you matter, you're amazing, you can do anything you set your mind to, even though there's real obstacles. How can we do this in community? So my job is more of a cheerleader, more of a helping people come back to their sacredness, to themselves. And then once they do, I just got to get out of the way. And it's really exciting when I'm not around. And communities are really strong. Like this past Tuesday, I couldn't be around at the Freedom Store. I messed up my foot. I was in a lot of pain. And not only did the Freedom Store run well, but it ran great. And it's such a good feeling when communities don't need you. 
when you're part of a community, but they have empowered themselves so much where they're not dependent on your leadership because we do not need charismatic leaders. We do not need people to lead us. We just need to find the leadership within and then be in solidarity and community with others to accomplish the impossible. Mm-hmm. I love that. You speak wisdom. You've gone through things. A um, you also, yeah, a couple of things. You also spoke about people getting advice and how important that is and how important listening is. And speaking of that, what are some quotes or advice that has helped you most during crisis? Because we're talking about mastering leadership, right? That's the podcast, Master Leadership Through Crisis. And even though we may not need good leadership ahead, we do need it among us. And we need to focus on the characteristics of leadership that empower others, that connect Mm. others. So what is it that has helped? What quotes or advice has helped you most during crisis? Yeah, thank you for that. What a beautiful question. What a timely question. There's a lot of wisdom in what you're asking. Sometimes it's how do we ask those kind of good questions? Um, I think for me, it's finding out that I don't just come from intergenerational trauma. I have it. There's a field of science that has proven it called epigenetics, which simply means that through DNA, they're able to prove that some of the trauma that my mom experienced and that my grandma experienced has been passed on to me. But the field of science that doesn't yet exist is the science that we know to be true called intergenerational wisdom. I also carry the wisdom of my mother and my grandmother. And right now, uh, last night, I had a couple of community members who were deeply sick and they were worried they have COVID-19. The gripa started coming, the sore throat. And I had to tap into my grandmother's wisdom who said, okay, mijo, get a purple onion, get three pieces of garlic, get some cinnamon and get some rosemary. Boil all of that. Once you remove it from the pot, I want you to blend the garlic and the onion and with a little bit of that water. I want you to add lemon and I want you to add honey. Take that for a couple of days and it's stronger than any of this Dayquil or NyQuil. And I brought it to my people and already this morning they're like, I can't believe what it's done. That's intergenerational wisdom from my grandmother. This is her. Her name was Socorro. May she rest in peace. She's no longer alive. And what I mean to say is that we all carry intergenerational wisdom in us. And sometimes it just means we have to be a student of that. So let me give you one final example is I speak to someone who has passed away a lot. I speak to a woman named Harriet Tubman. Harriet Tubman is a historical figure who is now considered an abolitionist and a freedom fighter who was dealing with viruses and dealing with organized racism, and dealing at a time where black lives didn't matter, and they still don't today. That's why we need to fight for them, but many lives don't matter. And Harriet Tubman, half of her body was paralyzed at a time, and she had to connect to her spiritual self. She had to figure out an underground railroad. She had to figure out a mapping system. She had to organize the country of Mexico, Canada, and the U.S. She had to deal with not only racism, but deep sexism that still exists today. And she always found a way out of no way. So Lily, here's the advice. Is I have Harriet Tubman write to me or speak to me on a nightly basis. And it begins like this. 
Dear Cesar, I know you're worried right now about your wife and your kids and COVID-19. I want to remind you of some things from my life. I want to talk to you about the Underground Railroad. I want to tell you how difficult it was, but how much I prayed and I took action and I never gave up. Cesar, don't give up. Cesar, there is a way. Study me. Study Malcolm X. Study Gandhi. Study others. And there's been viruses before, and then there's been storms before. We dealt with syphilis, and we dealt with smallpox, and we dealt with hurricanes, and we dealt, listen, Cesar, they sent people into ovens, and there's been Holocaust, and there's been survivors. So if we have survived everything else, Cesar, do you think you're not going to survive this? And so I'm sharing with you a tool called Intergenerational Wisdom Love Letters. And what all of your listeners, what I want to ask you to do is to think about the people history and your own blood family who are now ancestors who deeply love you or who you deeply admire. And I want you to imagine the way I do. I imagine my grandmother, Malcolm X, and Harriet Tubman, they all kick it somewhere. And they write me letters often. They talk to me about when I'm down. They remind me of my sacred purpose. They remind me that I'm beautiful and that I'm meant to do something great. They affirm me. They tell me not to live in the past. They tell me not to live in the future. And they also gave me an invisible remote control. And that remote control I just gave to my son who just turned 13. He's my first teenager. It's an invisible remote control. It doesn't exist. And that remote control has a pause button. And so my ancestors say pause, reflect. Before you say that, before you take action, before you think a negative thought about yourself, sometimes hit the rewind button just a little bit. Don't live in the past, but rewind a little bit to analyze and don't fast forward too much. And sometimes you have to turn off things and sometimes you have to reboot them. And we all have that remote control inside of us. It is our sixth sense. It is our third eye. It is metacognition. It is the ability for us to analyze what's happening to ourselves. And then where does hope grow? So my people, would you please grow your hope chest and remember, remember what your abuelita went through. Remember all of the battles that our ancestors have been through. They might equip us with a 21 foot ladder to deal with 20 foot borders. 20 foot borders are obstacles that we face. 21 foot ladders are the way to get over them. My mother was deported on three occasions and she always found a way to come back. The only thing they did to my mom is beat her and jail her and deport her. But her love and her resilience was stronger than hate. And she's still alive today. And she gave me that 21 foot ladder. So now I'm going to remind you, you have a 21 foot ladder. You have intergenerational wisdom. You have so much wealth. You have an invisible remote control. May you use all of these. May you tap into all of these and you will weather every storm and look at every storm both for what it is and what it's not. Don't overworry. Don't overthink of the past and the future. Be in the present and be thankful. Like, do you have limbs and do they work? Give thanks. Do you have eyes and do they see? Give thanks. Do you have ears? All of these things are meaningful, but sometimes we just have to remember and have a spirit of thankfulness have a spirit of hopefulness, have a spirit of resilience, and then take action. We cannot stand idly by while all of this is happening. And as you take action, as you are a servant leader, as you serve, but first yourself, it is not self-centered to center yourself. 
And so as you serve yourself to be mentally strong, spiritually strong, emotionally strong and healthy, physically healthy, then you can serve others and you can do it at the same time. So I'm on this call with you, but if you see me starting to work out, I used to be pounds <laughs> of very healthy. If you see me drink water, uh, I'm the only temple I got and my body is a temple, but I used to treat it like a trash can and I used to treat my mind like a trash can. I wouldn't let any thought come in and stay there and our mind plays tricks on us. Mm -hmm. So now I'm becoming a student of the mind, a student of the body, a student of the heart. And as you do all of these things, watch you get stronger. It doesn't mean it's foolproof, but these are all of the tools that we need to weather every single storm. Oh, I got tools for days. Well, I love, I I love, love, love it. And we need it. And this is why we have these conversations. And as you're saying, we need to value ourselves because if we don't value ourselves, we're not going to value others, even though we think we do. It's just Mm. not going to happen. Cesar, before we move on, I want to know where we can connect with you. Give me a website. Tell us about how we can connect with you. So we have a website. And it's homies empowerment instead of .com, it's .co. And in there, you will find our email. You will find uh, cell phone numbers that you can reach out to us. That's probably the best way. We're on every platform, I believe. We're on Instagram. We're on Facebook. We're on LinkedIn. We're on Twitter. I don't have all the handles okay. in front of me. But if you look up homies empowerment, it'll be easy to find us. And uh, let's talk, let's connect, let's build. If it's useful for us to continue this conversation, both in this medium or with folks individually, I would be honored to get a chance to do so. But I do know this. I don't have tomorrow promise and I'm not fatalistic, but if I were to die today, oh, am I living a happy life? Because I'm living my purpose. This is my purpose at this moment. And I'm treating every moment like it's my last because we're burying some people under COVID-19 for real. Mm. And I don't have tomorrow promised. So this is the most important conversation of my life. If I get to have another one after this, that one will be the most important conversation for my life. And Mm. I'm learning to love brushing my teeth. Like I have access to water, y'all. I don't know if you know this, but a lot of my neighbors don't have access to water. Mm. I have access to like a roof. Like, do y'all know that I have a bed? I have gas in the car. Some of my neighbors don't even have a car. And Mm. so how do I value everything that I do? And I do it with like such a mindfulness that I'm really in the present moment. I'm trying to do that. I'm not always perfect at it, but I forgive myself a lot. And I give myself permission to make mistakes as a father, as a husband, as a community member. And then I forgive myself and then I try again. But I refuse to have the inner judge beat me up anymore. It used to beat me up all the time. I never measured up. Now, the most revolutionary thing I can tell you is you are enough. So enough with the beating yourself up. I'm no longer going to beat myself up. I am enough. I don't need to do more. I am enough. You are Mm -hmm. enough. You're speaking a language that really ignites my heart. Cesar, you also spoke a lot about imagination. And I know how important imagination is. Mm. We don't teach that enough in schools. Now, we have listeners who are in education, who are educational leaders. What's something that you can impart on us about imagination and the importance of it? Well, you know, from the neuroscience, which is the brain science behind that, is every human being has a part of their brain called the amygdala. 
And the amygdala is this beautiful part of our brain that is there to protect us. And so it senses fear. And so if a kid feels fearful at school, they're not going to be able to imagine. If an adult feels fearful in life, they're not going to be able to imagine. So if we want to, and we value imagination, we have to understand the neuroscience behind imagination. And so how do we make sure that people are fed, that our kids are fed, that our communities are fed? How do we make sure that they have homes and that they feel safe and that they're safe in those homes? And if we provide what the Blackfoot Nation, the Blackfoot Nation was a group of folks who Abraham Maslow studied in the 1940s. And now we call it the Maslow's hierarchy of needs. But Abraham Maslow kind of jacked this information from the Blackfoot Nation. And he created something, the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, that people need food, clothes, shelter, and a sense of safety and psychological safety to be able to self-actualize and imagine. It's hard to imagine a better world when you're being shot at every day, when you don't have food, when you don't have a job, when you don't know where you're going to go to next. However, there are a lot of exceptions. And so if you are educators out there, would you help young people understand their aspirational capital? This is Dr. Tara Yoso's work. I've met many young people who are living in a van who only shower once a month, but they're being raised by their parents with a lot of hope. And they have something called aspirational capital, meaning they still have hope even though they don't have a lot of means. So just because you're impoverished doesn't mean you can't have hope. And so how do we develop aspirational capital and how do we develop navigational capital and linguistic capital? When we translate all of these kinds of capital are what Dr. Tara Yosa calls community cultural wealth. So educators, would you lean on a community's cultural wealth? Would you make sure that you are teaching about critical hope, about critical resiliency and making sure that people have what they need to be able to imagine. And when they imagine, please don't be a dream killer. I've been a dream killer to my own children's dreams. And that's the worst thing I can do. And so what is the power of saying yes? So if a kid says to you, you know, what if we could go to the moon next week? Well, let's figure it out. Like there's no need to say no. Let's explore that because you never know what that imagination is going to lead to. What if you could say yes and, and try to build with and create the conditions so that it's okay for us to fail when we try to go to the moon and we don't make it. So we also need to create a safety net for kids and adults to imagine, try, and fail is the acronym, which means first attempt in learning. Mm. So we need to create a safety net where it's okay to fail and then let's try again. So then we actually didn't fail. What we did is we did an experiment. We tried something and we learned something from it. We analyzed it and now we try another experiment. So what if there's no more fail in school? What if the letter F disappears and the only F we have in school is forgiveness? But what if we got rid of the letter F and no one could fail because we had the safety net to still try again. And we didn't make fun of people's imagination or their dreams. Mm. What if we had a whole class that happened every day called Dream 101 or Imagination 101? And what if that was infused in mathematics and science and history where we do the math of dreaming and the science of dreaming? Because all science is, is imagination and dreaming and exploring. That's how we're gonna find the cure for COVID by imagining and experimenting and dreaming. Mm. And so, 
what Lily's asking us to think about is maybe one of the most important things that will allow us to be creative. Haven't you seen how creative we are under COVID-19? Under COVID-19, we have mass culture. We have all these amazing things of graduations that we've done. Even my eight-year-old, Ketsali, I want to show you how she cuts school when she doesn't want to be on a boring Zoom. Remember when we used to cut school and go to the back of the school and do some things we weren't supposed to? You could do that in Zoom. My eight-year-old daughter, with her imagination, came up with this. this is, I'm going to show it to you. It's called Zoom Face. If you're in a boring meeting, Kitsali said, and you want to disappear, just do this for like an awkward 20 seconds. <laughs> for those of you that can't see me, I'm just frozen. My eight-year-old daughter with her imagination found a way to cut school from a boring class. That's freaking genius. What can I do as her parent? Encourage that. Mija, come up with more. Do a drawing about that, et cetera, et cetera. We have to encourage imagination. We have to Love feed that. imagination. We have to nurture imagination. We have to provide a safety net for when the imagination doesn't go the way we want to. We have to affirm it. We have to fund it. And we have to have it in every single class from mathematics all the way down to science. And if we do, we will create the conditions for another world being possible. If yeah. you don't believe me, I got a chance to go to Cuba when Cuba was really being attacked by the embargo. Why is the entire system in Cuba free education and free university? Why are people so resourceful there? Because they had to imagine and they had to be creative and they weren't just worried about how difficult the times were. They found a way out of no way. And now internationally, Cuba has the least amount of COVID-19 cases for the entire world. So what can we learn from places like Cuba where people imagine another world and dream it? I'm not saying they're perfect, but what I'm saying is we need to study the people that imagine a new world. And we need to develop game plans. So that's my very long answer. But imagination is everything. It is a springboard to everything. That's right. Thank you so much. Now, when you think of leadership today, Cesar, what most concerns you? And what are you most hopeful about? I'm most concerned about ego. I'm most concerned about the role of patriarchy and leadership and sexism and leadership because we have created this idea in Hollywood of this charismatic male leader. Sometimes it's a white male leader. Sometimes it's a white middle-class leader. Sometimes it's a white middle-class heterosexual leader. And, you know, with the exception of Barack Obama, that's who's always been the president, regardless of their political affiliations. And so we have this very narrow window of what we think a leader is. And we raise leaders. So like when a baby is born, we gender the baby and we said, uh, what are they? Oh, they're this, give them the color blue. Oh, they're this, give them the color pink. And then the very first toys we give them, we give girls Barbie dolls and we say, this is what we want you to grow up to be. For boys, we give them other things and the shirts that the boys wear are about, I'm a captain, I'm a this. And for girls, we give them butterflies. Nothing wrong with butterflies per se, because butterflies go through a really painful metamorphosis. But that's not what we mean. We just think that they're cute. And so we, from the very beginning, we are creating and perpetuating patriarchy and we're raising male leaders and we're not addressing patriarchy. That deeply concerns me. Leaders that think they are the ones, that deeply concerns me. Charismatic leaders deeply concerns me. Leaders who think it's about them deeply concerns me. What gives me hope? 
people like Fannie Lou Hamer, who we don't know much about in history, who understood about collective leadership, that gives me a lot of hope. Harriet Tubman gives me a lot of hope. Lolita Lebron gives me a lot of hope. Ivy Santa Maria gives me a lot of hope. Rigoberta Menchu gives me a lot of hope. Dilcia Pagan gives me a lot of hope. Lucy Gonzalez Parsons gives me a lot of hope. All women, all in leadership, some alive, some ancestors who are amazing at what they do and what they did and we could learn from. And these are names, please look them up. And we need other models of leadership. I am inspired by the Black Panther Party. I'm inspired by the Young Lords. I'm inspired by the Zapatistas. I'm inspired by people who have models of co-ops and collective leadership. I love co-op businesses. I love shared responsibility, uh, shared collectiveness, all of those things. I'm inspired by homies empowerment. I think that that's going to be a model for the future one day. So those are some of the things that really upset me. Let's stop thinking so highly of ourselves in terms of we are the ones in a negative way. But let's really appreciate who we are and let's realize we're interconnected and that from Ubuntu to En Lakesh. En Lakesh is a Nahuatl phrase that says, tu eres mi otro yo, you are my other me. And so uh, in order for leaders to rise, who are you rising with? Who are you bringing up with you? Because you're not going to be around forever. So like, how do you bring others with you so that that community or that family can be stronger? Why do we use terms like head of household? If there are a couple of heads, what do the other ones, are they without heads? Like what world are we living in? And so there's just so much we have to question that we just take for granted in terms of leadership. My eight-year-old daughter is a leader and she's amazing, but she's not the quote unquote head of household. Come on, y'all. We have such patriarchal ways that we look at the world that we just have to challenge it all and have the imagination to dream of leadership a new way. And you know, I love how words are so important to you. I mean, that can be another podcast. So you have an option here. You can answer a question from a former guest, or you can share a challenge, a struggle, a failure that you learned from. I love both. And so I leave it up to you because only you know what the former question is. And so I've been following your lead and I've loved, loved, loved your questions. So I want to keep following your lead. Okay, so share one challenge, struggle, or failure that you learned from. And then I have one last question, and then we're good. I had surgery this past November on my knee, and I was given uh, really intense painkillers for my knee, uh, opioids. And I went 10 straight days without sleeping. And that triggered for me a lot of mental health challenges to the point where I couldn't sleep. And then uh, I had never seen a psychologist before, and I'm 46 years old now. I was 45 at the time. And the challenge got so hard that I thought about ending my life. And I don't want to talk about this, but I need to. I'm so thankful that my wife was there to help me weather the storm and that my parents moved up from Los Angeles to help me weather the storm. It got really bad. And what happened is I have trauma stuck in my body from 45 years of living that I didn't know was stuck in my body. And I had never seen a professional that I could trust to really open up. And all of a sudden, he starts asking me about my childhood and my father. And my father left me when I was two. And then my mother came to the U.S. without me when I was five. And I was disconnected from her. And I was carrying abandonment issues. And you asked me to name a challenge. I'm only going to name the hardest challenge of my life. Mm -hmm. What I had to learn in that storm is to not kill myself, is to return to my strength, 
is to also understand that what I eat impacts me. If I eat a lot of sugar, sugar also helps with depression. I had to give up the things that numb me. I had to give up television and coffee, two things I used to love, because they weren't being useful to me anymore. They were forms of drugs and addiction. I had to take on yoga. I had to learn about meditation and mindfulness. I had to learn about the sacredness of water. I had to learn about working out and working out my mind. I had to learn about how to deal with my trauma. And all of it was possible. I was 300 pounds nine months ago. Right now I'm at 230 pounds. I'm the healthiest I've ever been. I'm 46 years old. I practice yoga. I practice mindfulness. I am at the point where I've given up milk and I've given up most meat. I'm eating plant-based food for a lot of different reasons. And I'm at my strongest, y'all. And I think I'm so thankful that the storm came. And I'm so thankful for the nightmares that I had at night because they were my teachers. And my relationship with nightmares is different now. They're teachers. These pain points are teachers. And now I'm open to learning from the most difficult times. I'm not inviting cancer. Y'all don't want cancer and I don't want COVID-19. But I've studied COVID-19 survivors and cancer survivors, and I know a few in both arena. They have found a way. And so I don't want to bring anything else on, but if it comes, I'm learning to weather storms better. And, and the reason I tell you I have a lot of tools, I didn't tell you when I got them. I just got these tools. I've been around for almost five decades, and I just got these tools. Where have they been all my life? And so water is a tool. Mm-hmm. Running is a tool. Working out is a tool. Mindfulness is a tool. Yoga is a tool. So many tools that I would offer. Please take care of your body. Please realize your body is a temple. Please uh, realize your thoughts are a temple and your heart is a temple. Guard it, protect it, release it. And that's how I've weathered these storms. And I didn't do it alone. I did it with a therapist, with my wife, with my children, with my family, with my community, with prayer. I've been working out a lot. My mind, my spirit, my heart. And if you feel it, if you can physiologically feel something when I speak, it's because a lot has happened in my life. And Mm. the reason I know we're connected is because we're doing something called neurocoupling. When I speak and you speak and we connect, we fire and wire, and maybe se te enchina la piel because we're saying something, yes. something to each other. <laughs> That's right. That we're having physiological responses because yeah. even though you're in New York or wherever you are in the world, right. listener, we are interconnected. And I realize that in this journey, and I realize that breath matters. So my actual challenge, Lily, and I know we're running out of time, is that in February, I had a dream that I was going to die that day. And I had to spend that whole day figuring out how do I tell my wife that this is my last day on earth and how do I tell my children and how do I tell my mother? And I told all of them and they cried and we had a really hard time. And what I came to realize is that I actually don't know when my last day is, but there are parts of me that are dying. The part of me that used to believe I was abandoned is dying. The part of me that thought a certain way or ate a certain way or believed that I was less than and not equal to you, that is dying. So on my birthday, I buried the old me and I'm in my infancy. My birthday was in February. I'm about six months older or five months old right now. And I'm learning to re-meet myself and I'm learning to realize I was made perfect. I was made in the likeness of the great spirit. I was made divine. So I've had to do a lot of unlearning from organized things that tell us that we're not perfect. And I don't need any external satisfaction to deal with internal pain. And as I'm equipping myself with all of that, I came out the wound complete, y'all. 
The only person I was connected to was my mother and they cut the umbilical cord. So I don't need my wife and my wife doesn't need me of 20 years. I'm complete. I just have to remember that and come back to my genius and my joy and my childhood and my inner self and heal it. And then I and we, we're going to be all right. Mm. I feel like we, you and I need to have a conversation after this when you have some time, because there's so much in what you said that speaks to me in my life, but there's a reason why we're here and why we're talking. And so I want to thank you so much for adding value to me and to our listeners. Same here. Not a lot of people are like you and that they listen. I know you coach people, but one of your greatest gifts I can tell is you listen. That's a gift, right? And so you have so many gifts and then you provide space and a platform for others to listen and to share. And so just thank you for what you do. I'm only cutting this short just because I have to run, but just bless you and bless all of your listeners and whatever I can do, please let me know. Okay, bye-bye. You take care. In closing, here's a quick message. Coaching is the art of influence that underpins leadership in the 21st century. It is the very thing that can get you from being stuck to being extraordinary. So go to masterleadership.org and sign up to get a free coaching session. Until next time, continue to ignite that leader in you.